God damn it, really? Hey, everybody, welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. With me, Bob Schneider, and your other host, Clint Wells. You're welcome. Welcome to I'm Okay, You're Okay, I'm Not Okay, You're Not Okay. We somehow traversed the impossible universe to, once again, meet back up here in IOK land. And we've, as usual, brought up a little bit of magic with us, I think. Well, what we do is we have these bags, we fill them with magic, and then we come here into the podcast and we just dump them out uh, into the audio spectrum. And uh, people with their webby ears scoop up all the magic dust and walk around with BDE. And that's the way we do. And thanks, daddies. People ask us, is it hard to put magic in a bag? And what do you say to that? That's probably one of our most common questions. Is it hard to put magic in a bag? I don't know. Is it hard to have a big dick when you have a big dick? Is it hard to carry a tune when all you can do is sing like a fucking bird? Is it hard to see things when you have eyes in your head that God gave you to see things? I mean, no. The answer is no. Yes and no. Yes, because it's magic. And that shit is dangerous, son. And you don't want to just fuck with magic. You don't want to just be like putting a bunch. It's like putting fucking gunpowder in your teeth, in your toothbrush, and then trying to brush your teeth with it. Sure. Is your saliva going to fucking downplay the danger of that gunpowder? Yeah. Is it going to taste like fucking shit, though? And you'll be like, oh, it's charcoal, bro. It's charcoal. See, that's why it's black. It's the it's organic. It's fucking farm raised. But it's not. It's fucking gunpowder, bitch. So yeah, the answer is yes and no. And guess what the answer to all questions are? Yes and, and no. no. Right, because we live in, yeah, it's a little thing called the multiverse. Look it up. And also, maybe. And also, possibly. And also, all the other words of the English language, including all the colors. You know what the answer to a lot of questions is, though? I want to know. FYI, GFY. That's the answer to so many questions. <laughs> most questions and most statements end with the letters. Oh, FYI, GFY. Uh, I was thinking about it today. We were driving to school and man, Nova. Well, you and Nova have this in common, Bob. Oh, she's big nice. on the guessing. She's big on the guessing game these days. Dude, so's my daughter, man. That's and we're like, man, I'm like, babe, I do not want to guess shit anymore. But we're, and we were driving this morning. She's like, dad, guess what? And then sometimes it's like, guess what I'm feeling? I find that more interesting. Like, guess what I think? Oh, nice. But sometimes, but sometimes it'll be like these premises that, and kids are just like this. Dad, guess what? Guess what would happen if, you know, guess what would happen if everybody was a T-Rex? And it's like, oh, God. There's just like no answer, you know? What was your answer? Uh, well, everyone was T-Rex. Things would be a lot more interesting, I think, was my answer. But I have been, I did want to talk to you about this today. I've been reading a lot of Raymond Carver and who you've turned me on to for years. And the intersection that I'm having with like how I'm responding to his poetry in particular emotionally, particularly with my daughter, has been really important and like i mean i can't read a few pages of his without getting a lump in my throat and a lot of it really is connected to my daughter so even like doing the guessing game today i felt like the ghost of raymond carver in the car was like you know what dude how about instead of being annoyed or frustrated just really enjoy every second of this and i was able to make a different decision you know based on that i don't know if you have those moments where his work kind of comes into your world like that reminds you to be grateful for things i mean it is a weird thing. I think art, like great art, does make you grateful to be alive and be part of humanity. And like other things where you just see the lowest common denominator 
of what people are able to do. And then people celebrating that makes you feel pretty shitty. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, but when you read something, I've been reading a lot of Richard Brodigan. I just ended up going online and trying to find all the original paperback books of his from the seventies, this poet and his poetry is kind of throwaway. They're just like short, like maybe a sentence or two, but man, it's so incredible. I just, and it makes me just feel good. Like you just feel good. I mean, I don't even want to go farther than that. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. It just makes you feel good. I was with a friend and, uh, I was reading some Raymond Carver and I was crying. And a friend of mine was like, what's the deal? And I was like, oh, I'm just reading this Raymond Carver poem. And I read it to them and it didn't quite hit them the same way, which is fine. And their response was, why do you read that if it makes you feel that way? And I was, that made me sad because it's like, I read this because it makes me feel this way. Like, Were you feeling tears of joy or tears of sorrow? I mean, just both of it. I mean, it was like someone writing something, and this can happen in a movie or a song too, but they're just writing something that you just really, and who knows what they even really meant by it. It doesn't even matter. But all the unnameable things in me were sort of being named in this little stretch of poems. And they were really, Raymond Carver writes a lot of just about like being outside and he writes about his family and it's usually kind of like mundane. And then he always puts a kind of a sting in it somewhere. Usually in the last few lines, there's a, a little bit of a turn where you, you it, there's a profound thing usually at the end. And it was just, I don't know. It was like, yeah, the joy of it was I'm not alone. And someone out there has obviously felt similar things. Part of it too was just being blown away by the beauty of it. Part of it was, yes, it was sad. You know, it was making me feel sad, not even making me feel sad. It was making me, it was teasing up sadness that's already in me, you know? Right. I don't think art really makes you feel a certain way. I think art helps you understand how you already feel. I mean, I relate to Raymond Carver. He was an alcoholic, which I am. He got sober uh, at the end of his life. I think maybe the last 10 years of his life, he was sober, maybe five years. And uh, he actually published most of his poetry in that last five years. And uh, he had some failed marriages, uh, died of cancer, I think, at the end. Uh, but I don't know. Yeah. And he just, he seems, he seems like, like when I read him, I go, oh, I, this guy is, he's like me. The thing that he does so good, him and Charles Bukowski, I think are the best at it is looking at something and saying very clearly what they're seeing and how yeah. they're experiencing it. He can do it so well without like trying to get clever and, and like yeah. fancify very- it up. It's plain almost. Yeah. It's plain in its and and that's why I think Raymond Carver was also such a good short story writer. And Bukowski also, I think people forget, was firstly a novelist. And you man, Bukowski, I, I just recently read Last Night of the Earth Poems again, which is one of his last ones in the early nineties. And that motherfucker, his muscle like you read someone's collection of poems, and you're like, oh it's it, they took ten years and that's their best hundred poems. Bukowski has put out a book of 300 poems posthumously almost every year since he died. Of all the poems he never, that dude just wrote. Yeah. And you'll read one poem and it'll just be about the racetrack, you know? And you're right, like all his detail. And you'll think, how many poems can you write in detail about a racetrack? And he wrote a thousand of them because 
He just had that muscle so honed. And Raymond Carver's great. I I love I love when Raymond Carver writes about relationships because he's he definitely like he uh, there's this one that made me think you were talking about he the beginning of it is a quote from D.H. Lawrence and it says my wife said Pinnegar expects to see me go to the dogs when she leaves me it's her last hope is that his ex-wife's last hope is that he will fail sure and, and Raymond Carver wrote a poem called Hope and learn his lesson and right and then she'll be right that he'll pay for for leaving him uh, she'll be like yeah I was the only thing that was kind of saving him right and now he's now he's lost and raymond carver when when they split he was out you know he was an alcoholic and she'd already i guess his ex-wife had had a new boyfriend so he writes this poem and it's it's really cool it's like uh, he's saying goodbye to them and she's with her boyfriend and he's like you know i drove off slowly so they would know that i don't hate them like he's like i get it you know and he's like she was hoping i would go to the dogs meaning fail you know and he says, I went to the dogs and we became good friends, but I kept going, went a long way without stopping, left the dogs, my friends behind. Nevertheless, when I did show my face at that house again, months or years later, driving a different car, she wept when she saw me at the door, sober, dressed in a clean shirt, pants and boots, her last hope blasted. She didn't have a thing to hope for anymore. Damn. And that's, and that's the end. Damn, dude. That's that's the fucking quiet stinger at the end, dude. You're reading the poem and then you don't realize, oh, I got hit with that fucking poison dart early on and now it's just taking effect. It's like that shirt you're wearing, which only the patrons can see because they all patrons get to see videos of these episodes. But I love your shirt. It's a it's a very colorful, beautiful pastel rainbow. <laughs> but at the bottom of the rainbow, it doesn't say things like treasure here or you're welcome. Live your or, best life. Or, yeah, or Live your pr- best life. Dude, how fucking quietly fuck you is the live your best life. I mean, people people like think it's like, oh yeah, this will be inspiring. But really, it's this condescending fuck you. Live your best life. Or when people don't even give it as advice when they say that that's what they're doing. Look, I'm just living my, I'm living my best life. Dude, if your best life involves that phrase, guess Bye. what you're not doing? GFY. Dude, you're not living your best life. Yeah. It's like people who say that they're out of fucks to give. That's like became a really cool thing for like 10 years. Like, I'm out of fucks to give. Are you? Dude, I may. Don't say I, that. I, I, I love it. But it's true. Like, Here's here's what you don't say. When you're truly out of fucks to give, you're not saying any you're not saying nothing. You're face like down. if somebody, somebody <laughs> says something to you and you're out of fucks to give, guess what you're not doing? Moving your mouth. Right. And the only reason you're moving your mouth is maybe to take one last two or three last breaths. <laughs> but other than that, other than that, you're not going to take any time or any energy to reply to anybody because guess what? You're gone. You truly are out of fucks to give. <laughs> but if you're trying to explain to somebody how out of fucks you are to give, you've got some fucks to give, dude. Yeah, you still fuck. You still got fucks. So your shirt, instead of saying oh, "live your best life" or "eat, pray, love" or whatever the fuck it is, no shirt, no shoes, no problem. Your shirt says <laughs> at the end of the rainbow, "No thanks." <laughs> No thanks. Dude, I was wearing I was wearing this around the neighborhood and I just I always forget what I'm wearing. And I'll just, you know, I'm walking along and in my neighborhood when you see somebody walking, you just, you know, give them a quick smile and a 
in a wave, not a lot of conversation or whatever. Give them a quick no thanks. <laughs> but just a, a, bl- a blanket. No I'm like, oh yeah, I've got this no thanks shirt on. I wrote to no thanks to someone just this morning who uh, keeps emailing our podcast. Which, by the way, we have some pretty interesting emails to get to. But Bob and Clint at gmail.com. But someone keeps emailing the podcast asking. It's it's not important, but asking us if we'll partner with them to do this merch thing, and we're not going to do it. But they keep asking, and I just. Uh, I keep just ignoring it, thinking they'll just leave me alone, and they haven't. So this morning, I wrote to their whole thing. They keep writing this whole long thing. And I just wrote, no thanks. Yeah, it must be some sort I mean, I'm sure it's just an auto-generated email yeah. that goes out to everybody who has got a podcast. The power of no, dude. Which took me... I'm still learning how to do it. And you and I are musicians and artists. There is a part of us that always wants people to accept us or to... Uh, to be liked or whatever it is, but the power to be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And I used to do this thing where to spare people's feelings, I would usually make up like a white lie. Right. And I don't even do that anymore. I just say no. If I cancel a ride or something, instead of like, the thing I hate doing the most is putting it on my kid. Like, oh, my, my daughter's sick. I hate doing that. Right. A friend of mine was supposed to have dinner with us with his new girlfriend who he wants to break up with. Uh-huh. And so he's wanting to cancel the dinner because he's going to break up with this chick. Right. And he was like, maybe you can say that like Nova has like a, a soccer practice or something. And I was like, man, I'm not trying to be prudish or like morally superior because I'm not. I'm super fucked up. But I was like, I'm not going to make up a lie and use my kid as a lie because you want to break up with your girlfriend. Just tell her we're not going to have the dinner. Right. And then you, then you got to deal with your problem. I don't want to. Don't use me and use my kid. Why? Who cares? Just say no. And that's what I did. I don't know how you are with no. What's your vibe on no? Well, I'm the same way. I want people to like me. And, you know, obviously, there's a way to do it. There's a way to do it. Here's this this guy, uh, the guy that used to be my sponsor uh, in AA, told me this thing. And it rings true to this day. He told it to me 25 years ago, which is the truth needs no defense. So if the truth is, what whatever the truth is, if you can just say it clearly without sarcasm or vitriol or anger, if you can just express your truth in the most loving way, and usually the most loving way is is the most honest way, and just leave it at that without, without trying to spin it and go, hey, here's the truth, but blah, 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 right. blah, 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 to try to manipulate somebody into liking you, you just say what the truth is. And the the thing I learned in group therapy about myself was like, I, I'm not a monster. And believe me, for years I just thought, oh, I'm I'm such a monster. And I don't know where that comes from. My dad or my mom or who you know when I was a kid, oh, you're you're being a piece of shit or whatever it was, or somebody else, you know, a peer telling me something like you suck or teacher, whatever it was. I I took it to heart because I'm a sensitive kid. And then I've carried it into my adult life. And so I have this idea that I'm not lovable. Um, and that if if somebody loves me, it's like some weird phenomenon, like seeing an alien or something. And I don't want to lose that. If somebody cares about me or, or, or likes me, I'm like, well, I'm not lovable, but this person actually cares about me. So I've got to keep I got to keep that love no matter what. And part of that is like, well, now I can't say no to them. Now I can't tell them anything that's going to hurt them or jeopardize this relationship. 
But once you realize, well, I'm not a monster. I'm I'm okay. I'm a good person. I am lovable. And believe me, I don't feel this, but I ha- I tell myself this. Mm-hmm. You tell yourself that enough, and then you're able to go, look, here's the truth. I, I, I just don't want to know. You know, and then you can start saying no. And then if the person's like, well, fuck you, man, you suck. You're like, well, sorry you feel that way. Which rarely happens, by the way. And it hardly ever happens. <laughs> but being able to just say no if you don't want to do something hinges on, again, it all hinges on the idea that you're going to be okay either way. If this person likes you or doesn't like you, you're going to be okay. Yeah. If you do it or don't do it, you're going to be okay. It just, it all hinges on that idea. Because if the idea is like, I'm not going to be okay if this person doesn't like me, then it's going to be real hard to tell them the truth. No matter, you know, unless it's like, oh, your breath smells like a goddamn fucking cherry pie. But how often does somebody's breath smell like cherry pie? I mean, pretty much only right after they've been eating cherry pie. Right. So if it smells like cherry pie all the time, that person's not having a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, or eat some veggies, or they've got some sort of weird cancer that where that makes their breast smell like cherry pie. <laughs> Is that a thing? I don't know, but I've been watching House like oh boy, nonstop. So yeah, I feel like there's always a thing. Okay, just, and believe me, let's not do a whole thing on House, but I'm just curious. I'm curious about a few things, and then we'll, let's read some listener emails. How if how if the whole ovoir of house is you know twenty seasons? Where are you at? Are you in the middle? Are you getting towards the end? Are you working your way towards the end? Where are you at? I'm at about somewhere between thirty and forty hours of house. Now here's the thing: <laughs> every episode is identical. I know, I know. It but is. You love it. But you we, love it. Me and my wife are just like, why are we watching this? Like, I mean, it's when I say identical, I mean. It starts the first, there's an f- opening scene, and there's usually multiple people in the opening scene, and one of them is going to get sick. And so part of the guessing game is like, hmm, who do you think is going to get sick? The lady, the man, the kid, the old guy. And you, d- you never know who it's going to be, but it's going to be one of them. And then they're going to get sick. They're going to go to the hospital. They're uh, going to try to diagnose what it is. They're going to get it wrong. Something bad's going to happen. They got to innovate them. They always innovate them. And then they diagnose them with something else. They get it wrong. And then every show, they go into cardiac arrest. Every show. Cardiac arrest. They get the paddles out. And then they've literally got minutes to live. And then House figures it out. They yeah. And then they're cured magically. Remember when it, I said I didn't want to do a whole House thing? <laughs> that's what we're doing now. Well, that's, uh, every, I know. that's every... Spoiler alert... That's every episode. I know. I've watched 38 of them. So you say you're 30 to 40 hours in. You didn't really answer my question. Are you halfway through? Are you almost done? No, I've got another. I'm on season three. I've got another five seasons to go. <laughs> That's what's crazy about those like network shows is they'd be 40 minutes long and there'd be like 25 fucking episodes a season. And sometimes they would do two seasons in a year. It's pretty, pretty wild. Well, Here's what we're not doing. We're not watching multiple shows a night. We watch one show a night as kind of like a, that's your little treat to yourself. It's a little, it's a little treat. It, it's like eating ice cream every night. <laughs> Isabel did that when we watched Lupin. She was like, 
we'd finish one and it's like a it's a sort of a mystery show on it's a french no, mystery I, show I, on I love that show I know I'm, I'm saying this for the audience we have an audience that we're talking to oh we did and uh yeah and hey. uh, we would finish an episode and they they leave you on these cliffhangers and I'm like let's do the other one and this would be like no I want to just enjoy it and watch one a day I'm like what don't be normal don't be a normal, healthy person. All right, so check this out. A few things going on in the email world. Bob and Clint at gmail.com. First of all, we got three new patrons. Guess what? They're all ladies. Oh, nice. So I want to say thank you to Rebecca Warnick, Marie Paul Jeske. Oh, yeah. And last but certainly not least, Aaron DV. Thank you guys for hopping on the train. We accept men and women and and uh, in between all those things as well. But it was fascinating to me that it was all ladies. The ladies come to hear us give advice about being fathers. I think that's what it is. This is what I like about some of the... Now, I'm not sure if all of those ladies are, but I know some of them double dippers. So they're Patreons mm. on Song Club. They're Patreons here. Thank that's you awesome. So, thank you so much. It's it's very nice. So here's a few emails we got that uh, we're not going to be able to get to all these. We have a, quite a bit, Bob, so this may need to carry over into uh, the next week's episode. But where should we start? We've got some heavy. We've got some light. What do you want to do? What are you uh, in the mood for? What's your, what's your flavor? Like when you say heavy, are, is it going to bring me down? No, I think that it's some more advice. Let's just start with this. This is Let's Scott do the Wilmer. Advi- I like the advice ones. This is Scott Wilmer. Uh, he goes by Fenton Hardy. And I've known Scott for a while. I don't remember how we met, but I had coffee with him one time when I was doing a show with you in upstate New York. So he just put out a a project as Fenton Hardy, okay? And he sent me some of it, and it's really cool. So let me read this email. Um, the, The subject is artistic acceptance. He says, hey, guys, love your show and have been a listener since episode one. I'd value your advice on something. He says, I live in a city in upstate New York with a lot of great musical artists, and although I've been doing music for decades, I just put out my debut album as a solo artist. He says, my personality, which I partially credit to my past life as a worship pastor, is to try and create community and encourage other artists. I'm their biggest cheerleader when they release albums. Yet I, can, I can't seem to get any traction here and receive very little support from those same fellow artists. I realize that ultimately in this age of social media and streaming, I don't need my community's support in order to be successful, but it would feel so much better if I did as part of this community that I've invested so much into. He says, have you experienced this? Am I taking things too personally? I respect you both and value your thoughts. All right. A couple things. First of all, Fenton Hardy should be a line of men's grooming products, period. (laughs) Like, no matter how successful you are as a musician or a worship pastor, just Go on the internet. How do you make a beard oil? How do you make skin cream? How do you make uh, <laughs> aftershave lotion? How do you make skin? Cream? Find a place in find a place in China to whip that shit up for you on the cheap. <laughs> Fucking get a, a designer to do a nice label, Fenton Hardy, bespoke men's grooming products. Now this is this is literally this is literally. <laughs> A $400 million a year global <laughs> business. Enterprise. Fenton Hardy bespoke grooming <laughs> products. Like, fuck the music game, dude. You you won't make a dime. If you want people to listen to your music, good luck. Dude, I've been in the business for 30 years. I can't get... I'm in the song group. I can't get anybody in the song group to listen to my songs. There's about 300 people on Patreon... I have a feeling about half of them, maybe a quarter of them listen to the songs that I put out. Dude, good luck. 
you're not going to get anybody to listen to your songs. Here's the only reason you should write songs, because you want to write something that you want to listen to, period. All the rest of it, like getting people to listen to your shit, getting people to fucking say that you're the new Beatles and fucking tell that to the rest of the world, it ain't going to happen. So make music for yourself and enjoy the process or don't make music. But here's what you need to do. What I said earlier about the grooming stuff, the bespoke grooming shit, dude, here's what I do know. If you're a billionaire, people are going to listen to your songs, dude. All that community of like, "Mm," you know, that "Mm, I haven't listened to it yet. When you're a billionaire, those motherfuckers be like, dude, I listened to your songs. They're the best. Can I come on your jet? What do you think about the idea that he feels like he invests so much in these? He he's a, I, I do feel the pain of that. Like when these other people put out records that are hard to get people to care about those records too. He feels like he stands in that gap and does care. And then when he does his thing, he doesn't get the same amount of support. That's that's frustrating. And I guess you have to find your balance of how much you're willing to put into that relationship if you're not getting much back. But I don't know if you have a similar thing with Austin. I mean, you know, my in my mind's eye, you're like a king of Austin. But I don't know if you feel that way about how Austin, you know, Austin is your your big community. Dude. You're like an Austin staple. People know me in Austin for the most part. Maybe maybe not as much as I even think anymore. But they used to. Ten years ago, they probably knew me more than they do now. I'm sure the group's getting smaller and smaller. People my age kind of know me. People in their 20s in 30s they've heard my name they've never listened to anything i've done they've never even investigated it and i'll meet people all the time they're like 25 30 i'll meet these people and i'll be like like oh you're bob schneider and i'll be like have you ever listened to anything i've done ever come to a concert they're like nope never have i'm like what and you live in austin what but i think of myself like there are people artists that live in austin that put out music that are putting out music for years and I have in my mind who those people are and what they're doing. I'm not investigating anything as to what they're doing now. I have this idea who they are. I've decided it's not for me, and therefore, I'm out. And it's not fair to them, but guess what? The world ain't fair. I, I want to end with this concept because it ties into something we mentioned a few weeks ago. First of all, I, f- I will finish that Zappa documentary. And here's the deal. That documentary is awful. Um, there's another one that came out about five years ago called Eat, Eat Your Questions that's way better. I think you're going to have a better taste in your mouth about Frank after you watch that one. This new one, you were right. It it made him seem a lot more cynical, I think, than he comes off. But here's what I liked about some of the stuff he said. I'm, I, I like him. I just like Frank Zappa. But one of the things he said, he's, he was like, I want to, <laughs> he's like, I want to write my songs and I want to get the best performance and recording of those songs possible so I can go home and listen to it. Yeah. And he was like, if other people want it, I'll make it available and they can, you know, he's, this is an interview from like 1980. He's like, they can buy it, a record. But really why I do this is so that I can go home and listen to it. And then it showed like his vault of all of his work that he's recorded that no one will ever hear because it was just for him. Right. And that's an interesting starting point. And there's a reason people were so drawn to him. And I think that starting point is a big part of his ethos. I'll tell you why they liked him. His name and the way he looked. <laughs> and three songs that he wrote in the at the in the late seventies. 
he doesn't look the way he looks. Nobody's nobody's ever talked about him. There's no documentaries. Nobody knows about him. If he didn't have that look, he's gone forever. If he didn't have the name Frank <laughs> Zappa, gone forever. I like if his, his name, work, no, I think his if work. his name was George, if his name was Clint Wells, oh, or Bob we or Bob Schneider, and he had that look, still wouldn't have heard about him. He had the name, he had the look. And he had a couple songs. Had the Valley Girl song that he did with his daughter. He had, you know, Ram It, Ram It, Ram It Up Your Poop Shoot or whatever. There was a couple catchy songs that he did that that teenagers liked in the late 70s, guys. Without that, you've never heard of Frank Zappa. It's such a weird thing. A name, a look, and a song, and you have a career. And if you don't have one of those things, you don't have a career, period. Well, Fenton Hardy's already got the name. So well, again, Fen Hardy bespoke men's grooming products. All right, Scott, well, you heard it. Four hundred million dollars, dude, Scott. A year. Get on the internet, find out the ingredients and the recipes. Call China. And get, All right, get making that money. Amen. You can write in Bob and Clint at gmail.com and we'll give you some wonderful advice about how to turn the thing that you made into a thing you weren't even thinking of making. And of course, we will be expecting it to be cut in on the deals, on the global deals. Dude, when you reach $100 million a year in sales, you become our biggest patron, and we'll check right. up on you. And we're believe me, dude, that tithe that you pay to the church, that's what you're going to be paying to the church of IOK. You can support the show at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash IOK. You know you want to do it. You know you can do it. It'd be, it's equivalent. It's five bucks a month. No, no. It's five, five bucks a month is for like, look. Five bucks a month is where you start, and it's a good start. But like, what do you like when you write a book? Are you going to stay on the first chapter, or are you going to write chapter two through thirty and become the become the highest paid author in the history of the world? Support us at whatever level you can. You can start at five. It's basically buying us a couple cups of coffee a month. It goes a long way. It's really helpful. And when you get a bunch of shit over there, we have other podcasts. You know what they are? Go check them out. Go do all the things you know you have to do. And uh, we're your thanks, daddies, and we're letting you know what your homework is. We'll see you next week on the flippity floppity. Peace. Peace. (laughs) 